Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the IC109 podcast. Today, I have a guest, uh, not in studio, but we are communicating via technology in this uh, Zoom-like world. Um, her name is Angelique, and Angelique and I are just going to uh, get uh, to know each other over these uh, this uh, this online platform of Zoom. Um, this is our first time uh, meeting. But I think we're going to have an interesting uh, conversation because I can already tell we have something in common. Uh, Angelique, you're drinking out of a uh, uh, a Korean uh, coffee mug. Is that correct? I am. Hello. I forgot that that's the mug that I was using, my Busan mug. And I presume <laughs> that's because you've lived in Korea. I have. Yes. Okay. So we definitely have uh, that in common. Mm -hmm. um, but that's no surprise to us because we are, although we, we haven't met or this is our first meeting, um, we know each other or know of each other because of the brothers and sisters of South Korea group. On Facebook, um, yeah. Yes, that uh, we are both members of. Mm -hmm. So, all right. How did you become a member of BSSK? Well, um, I joined BSSK in 2010 or 2011. Um, you don't have to be accurate. I have no idea when I joined. There. Yeah, it was somewhere. I mean, I know the year that I first lived in Korea. So it was between August 2010 and August 2011. <laughs> um, I joined right. BSSK on Facebook because... I had just gotten to Korea and I was living in Shihung City, which is um, outside of Seoul, like a satellite city outside of Seoul. But it is one of the ones that's like, there's no subway station close by. It's like a 30 minute, 40 minute bus ride to the nearest subway on the highway. So quite isolated, despite the proximity to Seoul. You lived um, in Seoul, congratulations. I, I lived was... in Seoul. <laughs> I said I lived I in Shihung. I have to say, because if I lived in Seoul, I would have been able to be close to the subway, right? Or if I lived in like Ansan or Anyang or one of those Bundang cities. But I lived in Shihung, which was like surrounded by, it is surrounded by rice fields. It's actually pretty big, but it's like, Shihung is an amalgamation of smaller uh, dongs. Which, which were combined to make one bigger city. So one end of Shihung has a subway station, but of course I didn't live there. I lived on the other, another area of Shihung, which was like, there was just buses. So it took like half an hour to get to Bucheon or Ansan. And then from there I had to take the subway into Seoul. So it would take like an hour and a half or two hours to get to Seoul. You're so comfortable using Korean. You said Dong and I, 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 I lived in Duho Dong in uh in a city called pohang ah pohang hundreds in... of miles i'm sure away from seoul uh that one's near near busan right uh south yes not yeah 30 I say, about I say near, 45 minutes i say near right. busan but you know what i mean just south <laughs> yeah i so i lived in shihung that first year um and was feeling pretty like lonely and yes. hadn't hadn't come across another foreigner for like the first five six months that i lived there right. um and then i i think a friend of mine who was who i had made like we were friends in toronto which is where i live now 
And when I went to Korea, she was already there. So she was in her second year of Korea when I was entering my first. And either she told me about it or someone on Facebook told me about it. And uh, yeah, so I joined. And um, But I didn't attend any events until my last like five months. And at that point, then I was like attending a lot of events because once I got into the group, I was like... <gasps> wow, why haven't I been doing this this whole time? <laughs> this would have right, made the right. year a lot smoother and a lot less uh, challenging because of the culture shock and, and the distance from my family and the language barrier and all of those things. Speaking of culture shock, so um, were you familiar with Korean culture before no, uh, traveling I had, to Korea? No, I had watched a few K-dramas because I, I taught ESL uh, in Canada before I went to Korea. Um, my goal in going to Korea was always to teach ESL and um, because I'm the kind of person who doesn't like to not be good at things, <laughs> I, I studied how to teach ESL in Canada and then I started working in Canada as an ESL teacher for a while before I applied to, to teaching Korea because I thought um, that it would be, I mean, I thought it would help me and it did, but I also thought it would be necessary but it wasn't back in 2010 to have done all of those things. Um, right. So it actually, you remember how, like, yeah, they increased, they've since increased the um, the requirements, but at the time, all you needed was a university degree in anything. And well, they, they, they told us, they I worked at a university and they told the entire staff that in order to be promoted, you needed a master's degree. Many people ran out to get master's degrees uh, years, uh, a few years later, after they had earned their master's degrees, um, in a meeting at the university, we were informed that no longer is a master's degree re a requirement to be promoted to a professorship. And it was like, everyone, yes, everyone had that. What? <laughs> but since then, we did all of this. But it, but since then, now a master's degree is required just to get a job at a university not only a master's degree, but a master's degree and two years of teaching experience at the university level or four years at a high school level. And I know this because I've been, I tried to get a university job for years and uh, I got close uh, a few times and every time I, I uh, was unsuccessful. Um, but those were in my, my, my second and third time living in Korea. Did you like, leave Korea and then return or did you twice. stay? Okay. How <laughs> yeah, long so, did you stay away? So the first time I was there for a year and then I left uh, after my contract in 2011, returned in 2015. Uh, and in 2015, I went straight to Busan. I got a job at a high school in Busan and nice. I worked there for two years. Then I came back to Canada. And then in 2019, I returned to Canada to Korea. Um, and that time I lived in Tongyang, which is also along the South Coast, but um, maybe an hour, hour and a half uh, on the bus from the, from like the West Point of Busan, like the westmost bus station in Busan. It's about an hour, hour and a half from there to Tongyang. And how did, and how did, um, so later, uh, in your journey through Korea, how did BSSK, uh, you know, change? What what changed for you? More events, more contacts, um, a, a, a better what yelling board? Yeah, I'll be honest. My I was most active that first year 
when I felt like I didn't know anything and I felt like I didn't know anyone and I didn't understand oh. why certain things were happening. Uh, BSSK was really, uh, BSSK was really great for, um, the community aspect of it, you know, but also knowing that I wasn't alone with the experiences I was having. Um, right, right. Yeah. And then through those events, I made quite a lot of friends, some of whom um, also left Korea. So when I returned in 2015, I had other friends, oops, sorry, friends that I didn't make from BSSK, friends that I had known from Toronto who were also in, in Korea or friends of friends kind of thing. And I feel like I was less active in BSSK the second time around. Okay. Uh, I, I kind of poked my head in to sort of see what was happening, but most of the events were happening in Seoul and now I was in Busan. And so I was kind of like, well, okay, I'll just sort of um, keep an eye on what people are talking about and things like that. But I am by nature a social introvert, <laughs> which means for me anyway, it means I, I recharge by being alone Yes, yes. Um, I don't like crowds, which right. living in Korea can be a, ch a challenge because there's kind of crowds everywhere. But yeah. um, I'm not a fan of crowds and I and I recharge by being alone. But I like spending time with friends. I enjoy being around other people. And I love teaching. Like if I were to say one of my primary passions or callings in life, it would be teaching. Um, so I love teaching, which is being around other people. But there's always like a distance between between you and the class right because you're because you're the teacher you're the instructor um and so and there's also an end time so you know it's time to go mm. home now and so i as the reason i say this is that i um don't have don't attend or haven't attended a lot of parties or big events that were being thrown festivals like the mud festival was not my idea of a good time um the holly well, festival okay. that kind of stuff so i didn't attend a whole lot of events is what i'm saying well that's fine you know your experience and and the way that you handle yourself is pretty much the way that i handle myself i don't particularly care for large crowds um i prefer to uh, remain alone to recharge rejuvenate you know as mm -hmm. as you mentioned um yeah but you did miss out on the mud festival <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, but, but, but. the pictures looked like everyone there was having a great time. I just know that if I were there, I would not be having a great time. Oh, okay. Yeah. But my thing about the Mud Festival, okay, now, how, okay, let me ask you this question before I, I tell you this tidbit about myself. Okay. How many years in total were you in Korea? Four. Okay. Yeah. So, in my case, I had lived in Korea for nine years, mm -hmm. and... Um, in the first year, I was quite aware. I was well aware of the Mud Festival, okay? And I wanted to get there, but from Pohang to Boryong, where the Mud Festival was, is held, um, and because I was a solo traveler, I, I had gone to Korea on my own. I didn't know many people. I met people there, but I was on my own for much of that, you know, uh, for all of the time that I was there. Mm -hmm. It took me like eight years to get to the Boryong Mud Festival. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> you know. So maybe if it, I had stayed a little bit longer, <laughs> eventually I would have made it over there. I oh do feel like goodness. after a while, though, when you, you've kind of done 
all the things that eventually you make your way around to the stuff that initially you were like, <laughs> nah, you know, but now it's like, I've done everything else. Might as well give it a shot. Well, I live here. I, I might as well say I've done that thing. <laughs> I must say it, it wasn't a matter of, I don't want to go or something. It was more like, I'm going to go, wait a minute, maybe not this year. I'm going to go, mm. I'm going to try to go this year. Oh no, maybe next year sort of thing for me. Right. Okay. Yeah. Scheduling, scheduling issues. Scheduling. <laughs> Transportation. Oh my goodness. Transportation. Because, you know, I had to figure everything out on my own and um, there weren't, I don't think there were any buses. I don't know. There, there probably, there were, there were all of these options I wasn't aware of. You know, mm. I, you had to speak Korean probably, or, you know, be tapped in. I, whatever. So. <laughs> whatever, indeed. I don't, it gets to a certain point where you're just kind of like, well, yeah. if it doesn't work out, okay. I mean, I remember my first year living in Korea, a friend of mine, um, this makes me laugh now, but at the time I was like so confused by it. She was like, make sure you go to like Thailand and Cambodia and, and Hong Kong, or not Hong Kong, but like Japan. And I was like, why? Why do you want me to go to those places? And she's like, I'm living vicariously through you. Make the most of your experience. I'm like, I'm oh. in Korea. I'm already <laughs> on the other side of the planet. Like, do you understand? Like when we talk about the world, that's an entire planet. <laughs> and I'm on the opposite side of that planet from where I normally am. That's not ex that's not adventurous enough. Like I'm not making right. the most out of my time already by being here and living here and working here and learning the language and having none of my friends close by. Like, and now you want me to also spend money to go to Japan and Cambodia and Singapore and all these great places, which by the way, if I were to go back, I would do that. But that first year that I was there, I was like, this is enough. Like I'm stressed yeah. out. <laughs> I'm having, you know, I'm learning a lot. And it's like uh, um, that time of my life, I describe as, as simultaneously the hardest year of my life, but also one of the more rewarding in terms of like personal development because I learned a lot about myself there. Um, but it was really stressful, like that first were you, you six, Were you relieved? Months. Were you relieved when you left Korea? Because I was relieved in, in, in some ways. Things had changed drastically uh, for me. And although I had enjoyed uh, a number of those years that I spent there, that last couple of years were really trying. And I was like, I think it's it, that this is it for me. So did you stay there for nine years consecutively? I had a three-month break in 2014. I had a three-month break, um, but I was always returning home. And so any any vacation that I had, and by break, by break, I meant I, I, I left my job. I quit my job. I left for three months, and I found a new job in return. So mm -hmm. that was the only time that I had that break. I, I came home during vacations mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so over that time i was home quite often but you know i wasn't traveling i was just moving back between america and korea back and forth back right. and forth ping-ponging mm -hmm. so. i think if i so one of the cool things about university jobs is the vacation time right like right the, the pay as i've learned is not that much better than right. some of these other jobs like the job i the high school job i had was higher paying than every university job I've ever seen advertised. Um, 
And that was because it was a private high school and it was connected to a nuclear nuclear power plant. And you know what I mean? So there was like money in it. Um, but I think my first year I didn't leave Korea. I didn't leave Asia at all. I spent Christmas with my cousins in Japan because, um, one of my cousins was doing basically what I was doing, but in Japan. So he was doing the jet program and, uh, he was in Fukuoka, which was, which was like nice and close. And his brother and dad were spending Christmas and New Year's with him. So I was like, okay, it's a lot cheaper for me to, to spend Christmas with you than to try and go home to Canada. Right. Although in, and I mean, I'm glad I did that, but perhaps in retrospect, had I gone home to Canada, it might have been the break I needed to stay longer in, in Korea because you asked yes. if I was relieved when I left. Absolutely. <laughs> I was excited. I was fed up, frankly. Yes, um, yes. With living in Korea and it had only been a year and maybe not even a full 365 days because I saved up my vacation to use it at the end because right. my, my, my last... Um, five days or whatever were in the middle of the summer break and so i was like you know what can i take my vacation days at the end and rather than paying for a flight home you pay for a flight to france and okay. so i made this big plan of like i went from korea to france i spent a week in france and then i went from france home and the 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 school at first didn't want to do that because they're like you know actually on the contract it says they're supposed to give you a flight back to your home country and i said yes but a flight to my home country costs this much and a flight to france costs this much which is much less and they were like okay we'll buy you a ticket to france <laughs> point um, now that you mention it <laughs> you know we don't really have to follow this this is more of a guideline i guess um yeah. and so yeah they bought me my, my my ticket to france and i and i peaced out and i was so well so i had reverse culture shock for sure but uh like one of the things that shocked me when i returned was how big everything is out here compared to over there boxes of milk are bigger fridges are bigger nowadays I will say, like in 2019 and 2015 even, things were bigger. Counters were higher um, because Korean people are getting bigger too. But in 2010, in Shihung, in the middle of nowhere, um, my counter was like at my mid-thigh. You know, my, my, my sink was really low. I could see over the top of my fridge. So I had my microwave on top of the fridge. And that Let was like tag. a full fridge. Let me tag on to what you said or yeah. piggyback on because you said Koreans are getting bigger. I remember I well, I felt very tall. I'm five foot nine. And in Pohang, little Pohang, I felt, you know, at ease, comfortable with my size. I'm like, no one's gonna push me around. I'm gonna be right. pushing people around. However, just as you mentioned, you know, Koreans are getting bigger. I moved I went to uh where did I go? To Seoul. And I encountered some of the six foot tall Koreans, and I was like, "Where are they coming from? Are are the Germans like no, it's doing all that something milk. to these people? <laughs> milk? Oh milk my gosh! <laughs> yeah, I it's mean, noticeable. 
it's noticeable. Absolutely. I mean, I'm five, I'm five, seven, which in the grand scheme of things is not very tall, but for a woman, especially in South Korea, in 2010, in 2010, I was a giant. Um, Plus I'm black. Plus at the time I had dreadlocks. So I was just a walking monster, really. Um, (laughs) Like literally my first experience with a child at the school that I worked at, I was at an elementary school that first year. And my first experience with any of the students was I, I took the elevator to the fourth floor. And when the doors opened, there was a kid holding, um, he wasn't holding it, it was like in front of him, one of those, the crates that they would carry the milk to all the classrooms in. Right. Right. And um, the box was standing in front of him because he was just waiting for the elevator. The doors opened. He saw me. He gasped and yeah. backed all the way up to the other side of the hallway with his hands against the wall like <gasps> and then he yeah. froze like he was literally frozen with fear and all i could do was laugh and walk away there is nothing that i could have done in that moment to make him not scared of me because yeah. he it was just him and me in this hallway like if you imagine an, an, an elevator opens up and you're a child so you're small already you're already right. smaller than the adults in your life. And then someone who's even taller than the adults in your life is on this elevator, dark skinned, big person. And is just like, Mah. you know, I would be terrified too. So anyway. Poor, poor little uh, melanin deficient <laughs> uh, child. Oh my yeah. goodness. And Plus if you think about what experience they had had in the media with black people up until like that point, you know, yeah. we were all gangsters and, and murderers and shit. So. Um, sorry, I don't know if you sorry on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, that was my first experience with a student. And luckily, I was able to see the humor in it right away. But yeah, that, that year was really was really uh, challenging for me. But um, when I got to France afterwards, I was like, wow, there are a lot of strong smells here. And that was when I realized <laughs> Korean people don't really smell of bo like the smell of bo in korea is they, not they don't uh what they don't wear you know when i arrived they told me koreans don't wear uh deodorant, deodorant. Yeah. and they do not produce earwax okay earwaxing is clearly a lie but uh, <laughs> because well because the way they, they they have a whole practice like a whole ritual almost of like cleaning out each other's ears so obviously obviously they produce earwax um, no, they do. They have a white, a white uh, substance that that forms. But so maybe is it some really of them. Really, a would... white substance. I know for Koreans, everything is white. Oh, we produce a white substance. It's not that. <laughs> we we only you know. Oh, I don't know about that, but I do know from my own. I have a very sensitive nose, and um, it's very sensitive to new smells, especially. Um, I would have known if Koreans were 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 doing the bo had bo and they didn't they just don't like the apparently yeah. there's an similar to the enzyme that they're they're lacking apparently for drinking like for alcohol okay that makes their face turn red faster or whatever um asian people in general i don't think it's just koreans um but yeah anyway i noticed it because when i went to france where people do have bo and People don't always wear deodorant because that's like, that's not a thing everywhere. No. I was like, Deodorants, no, 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 no. I, I said, <laughs> mon dieu. 
I don't want to give the impression that I speak French. I mean, I, I try to do my little bit of French, but I don't speak French. <laughs> Mon Dieu just means my God. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is very like, I remember walking through Gare de Lyon or one of the, one of the train stations and just being like, ooh, yep, not in Korea anymore. The smells in Korea are more food-based, I find, than, oh, yes. than people-based. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Angelique, I don't want to take up uh, too much of your time. I've enjoyed no, our conversation fine. thus far, and I would like to continue a conversation uh, in the future with you. I hope you're open to future uh, invitations. Yeah, of course. This was great. All right. So uh, I've been speaking with uh, Angelique. We've been talking about uh, Korea, South Korea, and our connection to BSSK. Mm -hmm. And um, only for uh, time, we're going to uh, end now. I'd like to thank all of my listeners um, of the uh, IC109 uh, podcast. And uh, next time, we'll, I'll get into uh, 10 and 9 and what those numbers mean to me and discover what those numbers may mean to Angelique, if okay. anything. Okay. So, <laughs> Angelique, um, how can we contact you or... Um, are you on social media or do you stay yeah, private? I'm all, I'm all over that thing. So I also have a podcast, which uh, you're going to be on at some point. Yay! Um, yeah. My podcast is more around language and language learning and sociolinguistics, things like that. Uh, it's called The Polyglottal Stop because I fancy myself a polyglot. Um, and if you want to find me on social media, on Instagram, my podcast is at polyglottal pod um and then my regular instagram is at angeliquevoices.mp3 um because i am a voice actor as well uh and twitter at angelique voices or at polyglottal pod yeah that's it all right and all of that information uh, will be in the description of this podcast. So click below, check her out. And this is Larry Wiggs with IC109 signing out.